0: Well, today we're going to go through James chapter 1. got to be honest with you, right up front, uh, I probably won't get all the way through and we'll pick up next week. And so, uh, I want to encourage you for the next five weeks, uh, stick with us. I know sometimes in July, people go on vacation, so if you do... I want you to make sure that you watch it online, wherever you might be. Uh, We're going to walk through this entire book, and I hope to get through it all today, but I don't know that I will. And if I don't, we'll pick it up next week. And if I do, I will be shocked, but that's okay. Uh, It's a great book that will encourage us all. But I want to give us right up front uh, our key verse for today. And it's out of James chapter 1, verse 16. I want to read this passage to you, or verse 26, I'm sorry. Read this verse to you. It says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now, I I chose that verse as our key verse for today because I think today, uh, more than ever before, the church of Jesus Christ needs to learn this. Now, you've heard me say it before. I've said it a a number of times. I'm going to keep on saying it. Christians, we need to watch what we say and how we say it. And whether we say it, or whether we type it, or whether we tweet it, or whether we post it, whatever it looks like, the church of Jesus Christ needs to be known for our love, not for our anger. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be known for our care for others rather than for our rage for those who disagree. And so when Jesus, through His Word, tells us that if we don't bridle our tongue, that our religion is useless. It doesn't mean that our religion is gone. It doesn't mean we lose our salvation, but it does mean this, is our witness is challenged. Our, our witness is useless. And so, if you are like so many, unfortunately, who spend your time on social media attacking other people because of what they believe, and telling them that they're wrong, and that they're going to burn in hell, and that you're a horrible person because you believe that. If you're that person, here's what I want to tell you. Confess that because it's sin, according to God's Word, and start today in stopping doing that. And use your opportunity to speak into our culture, and to our world, to be an encourager, uh, not one who discourages, be someone who lifts people up rather than tears them down, and that's what our key verse is today. That was a little mini-sermon in itself, uh, and so there, there it is so, so right now, for those of you who sleep during church um, If you picked up that last minute and a half At least you got a mini-sermon, okay? Now for the rest of us, let's just begin walking through this passage And let's talk about the, 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 the presence and the power of God That He wants us to experience in our lives So that we can be all that God wants us to be Now we've entitled this sermon series, Faith with Feet now it should be on the back wall here, yep, there it is, faith with feet. In other words, we have faith, all of us would agree that we know that God loves us, we know that Christ died for us, we know that He rose again for us, but knowing that's true and we are saved by faith, that is absolute. I'm not saying that it's based on works, it is not. But a result of, a consequence of our faith, it always leads to doing something, it leads to action. If we truly have been changed and saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, if we have experienced the power that can only come through faith in Christ, then here's what's natural, here's what is going to automatically happen in our lives, that we're going to see fruit. Matt mentioned that last week, he talked about it last week, that it actually means we're going to do something with our faith. And so it's faith with feet, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to start in James chapter 1, as James wrote this passage, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in talking about faith with feet while we're in the fire. And so let's go into uh, verses 2 through 4, and let's read this passage when we talk about when our feet are to the fire. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, what this passage tells us in this uh, first couple of verses here, uh, after the greeting in verse 1, James jumps right into it, and he tells us, listen, you are going to be persecuted, and you are going to find moments where you feel like you are right smack dab in the middle of the fire, and it's going to hurt. And here's how we respond. We count it all joy. In other words, we celebrate the fact that we're going to walk through these moments. Now, that doesn't mean you have to enjoy it. I don't think any of us in this room have ever been to, uh, through a trial, through a tribulation, through a great testing in our lives where we're like, man, this is awesome. I'm so glad that God trusts me so much that He is burning me, right? I mean, never do we get to the place where we're saying, God, that's, this is awesome. I love it. But here's what we do need to do. That we need to retain our joy in the midst of it because of the way that God uses it. John Patterson was up here a moment ago and led us in prayer. Uh, He has been leading LCA for 10 years, been part of our team for 15. Now going to a a school down in Macon, Georgia to go and to encourage and to grow and to, uh, to lead that church. I lead that school. But I heard John on Friday in a breakfast that we had with a lot of our staff at LCA, he quoted PJ Preston, who's our campus pastor over at LCA, where he said this that when you're going into a trial, there's only two responses, two results of that trial. You're either going to win or you're going to grow. And so often in our lives what we believe is that we're going to win or we're going to lose. But we never lose, we only either win or we grow if we have the right heart attitude. And that's what James is talking about. So, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, and here's this key statement, produces, produces patience. Produces patience. Now that's important because in our lives, every single one of us need to learn Patience. That there's nobody in this room that has just like so spiritually evolved in your walk with God that, that that your patience is exactly the way God intends for it to be, that God wants it to be. All of us need to work in this area. I'm your pastor. And probably, and that's not warranted, but probably if we went around and talked to a lot of people in our church and just said, hey, do you think Pastor Jonathan, do you think he's patient? And you would say, oh, well, yes, he's the pastor. He's patient. I'm just telling you full, full, uh, you know, transparency. Fa- I need to work in this area. I'm not as patient as I should be. Sherry would tell you I'm not as patient as I should be. My kids will tell you I'm not as patient as I should be. And so, we need to recognize that God uses the trials that we go through, the testing that we go through, to produce patience in us. And here's what's important as we continue reading. It says, so let that patience have its perfect work so that we might be perfect and complete. If you look back in the Old Testament to the book of Genesis, you remember the story of Joseph, right? And you remember the trials that he went through, right? All of his brothers were jealous. His brothers were jealous, and they took him, they sold him into slavery. Remember that, right? And so he was taken into slavery, he was taken back to Egypt, probably sitting there thinking, man, this, this is not going to end up well for me. And so he goes through these trials, and through those trials, God began to work on him, and God began to, to use him, and then elevated him to a place that completed him, to, to build him into who God needed him to be, in order to then preserve and protect the nation of Israel. And so you see that that's a perfect picture of what God does in our own lives, in our own trials, and our own tribulations. God takes our trials to teach us patience and our patience to make us perfect. Now, does that mean we'll be sinless? Absolutely not. Does it mean we're still going to mess up? You bet we will. But what it means is that God begins to build and develop the maturity in our lives that we desperately need. Let's keep reading verses five through eight. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the lord he is a double minded man unstable in all of his ways now it, we talk about here this this when we're going through trials and the the, the patience that god is going to use to perfect us so we also have to then, how do we persevere how do we actually allow that patience to do its work and here's what it tells us right up front if we lack wisdom which by the way every one of us does We all don't know how to make it through. We all don't know how to allow God to use our testing to grow us. So it says, if you don't know how to do it, ask. If you don't know how to do it, ask. That's basically what verse 5 tells us. And so what does this passage tell us? It gives us four truths about God. And so when we ask God for the wisdom that we need to make it, here's what it tells us. uh, It goes on, who gives to all. It tells us that God is going to give it to you. God will give you the wisdom that you need to make it through the trial that you face. But not only will He give it to you, this passage says, He will give it to you liberally. Now, that is not a political statement, okay? That is a statement of content, of volume. God will give you not only what you need, He will give you more than you need. That's a picture of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 where God tells us that He will give to us exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. And so, again, first truth, God gives us the wisdom we need. Second truth, God gives it to us liberally. Here's the third statement, third truth, and without reproach. In other words, He doesn't evaluate who we are or how we messed up. He doesn't, you know, judge us for based on what we've done and how we've lived. He gives it to us. He gives it to us liberally, and He gives it to us universally when we ask Him. And here's the fourth truth. And it will be given to him. The fourth truth is this, is that God wanted to make sure that we really understood and got the promise of God. God will give it to you. So how do we persevere in the midst of challenge, in the midst of trial, in the midst of fire? We get on our knees before God and say, God, I need your help. God, I need you to get me through this. God, I don't know what to do. And God says, I'll give it to you. I'll show you how. And I'll show it to you in abundance. And I'll show it to you in abundance regardless of what yesterday looks like. Man, I will do it. And I don't know about you, but right there we could probably stop and have an invitation. Because that's an encouraging encouraging statement, isn't it? That God is going to give to us everything that we need. And not only is He going to give to us everything that we need, but it goes on to say this, that that God will also reward us for doing so. Look what it says in verse, uh, verse 12. In verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Two statements here. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. In other words, God tells us, I will reward you for persevering." I will reward you for being patient. I will reward you for following my guidance in going through the trials of life. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many people here, just by show of hands, have been through a trial in your life? Just raise your hand. Is there anybody who put your hands down. Is there anybody here who has not been through a trial in your life? Raise your hand. Anybody? I don't see any hands across the room at all. In other words, we're all going to go through trials, we're all going to face tribulation, we're all going to walk through pain, and here's what God says, blessed are you who endures. So what's the converse of that? Those who give up, those who quit. And I've got to be honest with you, I've met a lot of people that in their faith, when they came to a trial, when they came to a, a, a point in their life where, where life began to crumble around them and began to fall apart and their hearts were broken and they thought that everything was lost, rather than enduring, they quit. And they walked away from their faith. They walked away from trusting God. That's the alternative to being blessed by God. That's the alternative to truly understanding that if I will persevere, God will give me everything that I need. And it goes on to say, he will receive the crown of life. In other words, a reward that he will receive all that he is looking for. He will receive that which is needed to experience the joy that only God can give. And so, man, God promises to us in the midst of the fire that we walk that if we remain steadfast, if we remain faithful to Him, He will reward us for that great truth. In verses 13, let me read this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires, it goes on to say, and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Here's what this statement is talking about here, talking about the trials that we go through, the temptations that we face. James says, listen, you're going to be tempted, but don't believe for a minute that that temptation is something that God is putting on you. God does not lead us to evil. God does not put something in front of us to test us. He does not put a sin in front of us to try to see what we're going to do. It says in this passage, God cannot do that. What we do is we find ourselves in our human condition that when we allow ourselves to slowly move away from the presence of God in our lives, God's word, God's truth, the further that we get from it, here's what happens. Then by our own nature, by our own devices, by our own desires, that's when temptation comes in. And so what's the picture that we can walk away from with this, is this. Is that if we will spend our time focused on God's Word, if we will spend our time focused on His truth, if we will spend our time, as James did after Christ rose from the dead, on our knees before God, seeking Him every single day, then what we will ha- end up happening and seeing in our life is that we will be protected from the temptations of life. And so it's not that God like, hey, says, hey, here's a website, you ought to, what are you going to do? It's right there, it's right there. No, 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 no. The website gets put into our life because we have walked away from God's Word. And so, man, we got to focus. James says it here, man, listen, temptations don't come from God. God doesn't do that. God can't do that. God can't reside in evil. He's not going to use evil as a tool. But when we allow ourselves to pull away from God's truth, then evil just comes in and fills the void. Evil's just going to come in and find every little spot that it can in our lives and bring us to the point of destruction. And that's what God's word clearly says here in James, man. stay away. So how do we do that? Here's how we do it. We listen, we listen. Look what it says in this passage, verse 19 and 20. So then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let me read that again because that is such a powerful statement. It says, so my beloved brethren, let every man, let every woman, we'll use this, both sides here, okay, men and women, let every man or woman be swift to hear, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath or anger. For the wrath of man, the anger of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. So here's what it says. You ever heard that statement, there's a reason that God gave us two ears and one mouth? You ever heard that before? I've heard that before. It's a great statement, right? In other words, God wants us to listen. Here's the problem in our culture today. We do a much better job of speaking than we do listening. In our culture today, we do a a great job of speaking spewing forth what we think and spewing forth what we want to say and spewing forth our own beliefs without listening and hearing either from God or from others. So this passage tells, here's how we do it. Here's how we find that patience we need. How do we walk through the trials of life? How do we deal with the trials and the temptations? Listen. Be quick to listen. If you will spend time in God's Word every day, listening to what He is speaking to you, and by the way, every time you read God's Word, it's as if He was sitting down in the chair directly across from you, and He's talking directly to you. God's Word is living and it's powerful. It says you're having a conversation with God. You're sitting there having a conversation. And so, if we are swift to hear, quick to hear, slow to respond, to speak, Then what will happen is it will produce the righteousness that we need, and it will alleviate the anger that is so prevalent. I don't know about you, but man, I hate getting angry about stuff. I love being happy. I love laughing. I love smiling. I love joy. I just, I want to be happy all the time, don't you? Anybody here not want to be happy all the time? Please don't raise your hand. That's going to mess up my whole sermon. We all want to be happy, right? We all want to be happy all the time. We want joy. We want peace. Here's how we do it. Listen. Listen to what God has to say. But then, as James chapter 1 tells us, we listen, but then we have to listen and then do. So in other words, we have to have action. Verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all the filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the, the implanted word, God's word, which is able to save your souls. But be, and here's a famous verse, you've all heard this one before, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So, here is how we do what God has told us to do, okay? Lay aside all the filthiness. In other words, walk away from sin stay away from evil fight to keep the stuff of life from invading our relationship with God and when that happens what we will become is we will be doers of God's word we'll be actually accomplishing what God calls us to accomplish and we won't be hypocrites and I don't know about you but I don't want to be a hypocrite Look what it says in verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, God's Word, and continues in it and is, not, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So, it says that if we are a hearer but not a doer of God's Word, then we'll be like someone who looks into a mirror and forgets what he sees. Now listen, let me ask some of you a question. I think some of you in this room, I, I have some experience in my own household, some of you spend a lot of time in front of the mirror getting ready before you go out in the daytime. Am I right about that? Let's be honest. I'm not asking for a show of hands. But you probably go, you look in the mirror, man, you're doing your hair, you're doing your makeup. Ladies, guys, don't do that. Um, doing your hair, doing your makeup. I mean, you're making sure everything's right. You're, man, you're doing those curls, doing them a couple times because maybe it didn't turn out exactly the way that you want it to look like. And maybe, you know, you, you, you've got to get a little bit more hair product and put it in there because it's not staying in exactly the right spot. And I mean, you spend some time focused on that mirror because you want to make sure that what you see right there and you're happy with it is what people see all day long. Am I right about that? Now, some of us, and we all know people like this too, that get up in the morning and they have never looked in a mirror in their lives. And we know what those people look like, right? Their hair's not combed, and I mean, they just look rough. They look tough. And, and we've seen people like that. Or maybe you get up first thing in the morning, and rather than going and, and, and looking in the mirror and like combing your hair and stuff before you get ready, you go down and get a cup of coffee and you sit there on the couch, and other people walk in the room and they scream because they see you before you've had an opportunity of looking in the mirror. That's the picture of what James is saying here. It's like you you go into a situation and you look in the mirror, but you don't even notice, you don't even recognize, you don't even remember what it looks like because you don't care. Now, James is not talking about what we look like. James is talking about what our condition of our heart, what our heart looks like. Because if we do not actually focus on hearing God's word and then doing God's word, putting it into practice, what we will do is we will look at God's word and then we will forget God's word. So that when we are not looking into the mirror of our souls through God's Word and implanting that truth into our Word, we'll go out in life, and man, we're going to begin living and doing whatever we want to do, and we're not going to resemble anything at all of what God intended. We're going to look like something that's scary. God doesn't want us to live like that. God wants us to reflect what is good. God wants us to reflect what is in His Word. And so he says, that's what we need to do. That's what we need to focus on. Making sure that's what we see. And then how is a way that we can begin? I'm going to go ahead. I was going to like stop here, but I'm going to keep going. And and the people are out there waiting and the people that have to clean after you guys leave, we just won't tell them. Okay, we'll just, you go with that. We'll just keep on rolling here. The people that have to clean, they're going to have to clean quick, which means the second service, it's not going to be as clean for them as it was for you, but we won't tell them either. So... How do we make sure, then, that God's Word is exactly uh, what is reflected in our lives? Well, it has a lot to do with doing God's Word. It has a lot to do with how we, what we say. Again, we go to verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. In other words, that word bridle there is literally used in the context of like a horse. If you've ever ridden a horse and you're holding on to the reins and that bridle, that bit is in the, uh, the bit is in the horse's mouth, when you pull on one side, man, it's going that way. You pull on the other side, it's going that way. If you pull back, that horse is going to stop if it's trained, right? That's the word that James is using here, that if we do not control what we say, control how we say it, control our tongue, that we will be useless in the kingdom of God. Again, not losing our religion, not losing our faith, not losing our salvation, losing our effectiveness. And I believe today the church of Jesus Christ is a picture of not being able to bridle its tongue. There are way too many Christian leaders, way too many Christian, you know, church members and, and, and churches in, at large around our country today that have lost their effectiveness because of the way that they've spoken. They've lost their effectiveness of reaching and speaking truth into the culture because of the way that they have spoken to the culture. And so James says, man, you've got to bridle your tongue, otherwise your testimony is a waste of time. It's useless. goes on to say in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God, and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So in other words, James ends this passage by simply saying this, listen, if you want to live a life that is marked by purity, marked by impact, marked by making a difference, then make sure you're doing what God's Word tells us to do. And that's just a, a little snapshot there in that last verse of what God's Word tells us to do. What does God's Word tell us to do? It tells us to care for others. It tells us to care about others and to love others. God said, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God's Word clearly tells us to do. It tells us to keep away from sin, to pursue holiness, and if we do that, then that is where we will find what God has for us. The church today, as it was 2,000 years ago, has spent so much time going through trials as we all will and do, that oftentimes we walk away from the impact and the truth and the hope that is found in God's word and we begin to get consumed by what's around us and we lose our effectiveness, we lose our witness, we lose our impact because we have not dialed into the truth that God's word is gonna bring you through. James understood that. James spent much of his early days, his early life discounting Jesus thinking Jesus is wrong, he has nothing to say, no, no value in his words, thought him to be arrogant, thought him to be a, you know, useless, didn't want to, probably didn't want to even really be around him that much until he came to the place where he recognized that Jesus died and that he was buried, James saw it, and that he rose again. And when James looked into the eyes of the risen Savior, it changed everything. And that's my question for you. Have you looked into the eyes of the risen Savior and allowed him to change you today? And I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.